Hey, he's Jake, and I'm Matt. And welcome to Pat's Chat, the UK's best New England Patriots podcast. How's it going, guys, and welcome to another edition of Pat's Chat. I am Matt Ingster, and joined, as always, by Jake Paul. How's it going, Jake? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. How are you, Matt? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. Um, Hard Knocks was on over the weekend. I've not had a chance to see it yet. Did you get a chance to see it? No, no, I need to uh, sort of sit down and digest it. It's going to be an interesting watch, I think. Yeah, I think so. Um, it'll be quite intriguing to see how they cope with this whole COVID thing and such like, and hopefully it's it's not all centred around that and we actually get some football chat and, and such like about and some more interesting things about the players, but it'll be interesting to see how from you know a coach's point of view and things, because generally and obviously the quarterback room and the wide receiver room and you know, you see them all together and do they just pick out parts of the field and socially distance their, their desks or something? It'll be it'll be an interesting yeah. point of view, I think. Definitely. I think it'll be interesting, um, you know, how do you drama, you know, ramp up the drama with a COVID swab? I mean, there is drama there. Granted, uh, <laughs> my drama that I'd like to see is, you know, is someone going to get cut? Are they on the team? Um, yeah, it will be. It, it, it might be a great watch. It might be a, a painful one. We'll, we'll have to find out and report back. Yeah, I think so. And something I've still not checked out yet either is Last Chance You. Um, I no. seem to be one of these people that are way behind the times. I've only watched like two episodes of the first season or something. But guys <laughs> I was speaking to have been watching the latest series and apparently it's just it's not as good as the... The previous oh, really? ones of you, yeah. Um, spoiler alert. Um, yeah, <laughs> I've taken from your reaction. You've <laughs> seen you've seen the other ones, then, have you? I've seen the other ones. I haven't seen this season. Um, again, it's, it's it's finding time to sit down. Like I, I mean, when I was commuting in and out of London for my job, um, you know, you, you'd sit down and watch watch these. You know, one hour here, an hour there. You know, on the way in, on the way out. And because I'm sat at home, I'm kind of just working a lot more. So it's, it's finding time to actually carve out and go, yeah, I'm going to watch an episode here. And I mean, I still haven't watched, finished watching The Last Dance yet. Um, Me watched... neither, actually. I've, I've got a couple episodes in and um, yeah. at, at the start of lockdown when everyone was speaking about it. But I think I try to curb my sleep or get more sleep, I guess, would be the, the phrase. And, you know, staying up till three and four in the morning wasn't the, the best idea. And, it, it was that no. time of night I would be watching it, but I wasn't really taking it in because I was probably tired. But at the same time, I didn't feel like I need to go to bed because I had nothing to get up for in the morning because I was furloughed. But yeah, so no, I need to catch up on that too as well. Well, the, the big question, Matt, is did you finish Tiger King? Not even seen a single second of it. 
Well, I'm just going to have to stop talking to you now. Um, <laughs> Bear in mind, I have a toddler that takes over my TV until about 8, 9 o'clock. Oh, she'd love Tiger King. She, she, she'd love to see Joe Exotic and his antics with, uh, with the tigers, um, sarcastically. That was a strange show, but that feels like a very, very long time ago now. Um, <laughs> can't be <laughs> Many moons ago. It was, it was one of those, I think because I hadn't seen it, but it was... I had listened to the radio quite a lot, whether through my Amazon Alexa or whatever in the house, if I got a chance, that it was one of those that everyone talked about. That, so you felt like you'd seen it, but I've yeah. not watched a single second, not even seen an advertisement for it or nothing. Not a single no. jot. Yeah, I think you'll go down in history books as, as that, that sort of opening salvo of, of Netflix just trying to ram everything down everyone's throat. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, th- I think a mixture of it was people were just bored. Uh, it was something to talk about. Because, I mean, this is the time period when everyone was doing like quick family quizzes and yeah. know, actually making an effort with their friends. And I was thinking the other day, you know, we're in August and, you know, I'm, I'm not using that house party app anymore. I'm not having regular FaceTime conversations with friends, you know. <laughs> just drop the odd text here and there like, you're alive? Yeah, I'm alive. All right, cool. I'm going to leave you alive for a week. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't watch any of that, but I did watch um, the Bundesliga, uh, the German yeah. football when that started. That was something that really excited me, and I think that links nicely as much as I could into our guest interview of the day. Um, is a man who has commentated and been a part of German football for a number of years, as long as I can remember. So, um, but I think I'll carry on the introduction with the interview. So. Um, here you are, here's this week's guest. Hey guys, welcome again to another special guest interview. To me, he is the voice of European football and to many, he is now the voice of the FIFA games. And more importantly, in the context of this podcast, he is the voice of Thursday Night Football via Amazon Prime. I don't think it'll be too often that I actually get the chance to say that my guest and I hail from the same city. So it, and it is a wonderful pleasure to welcome Derek Gray on the podcast. How are you, Derek? I'm very well, Matthew. Thanks for the invitation. Delighted to be on with you. Well, thank you very much for um, accepting it. And um, just before we, we started recording here, um, we were talking about the, the local lockdown that is now happening in Aberdeen at the time of recording this and some of the stormy weather that you've had. So we're, we're both feeling the brunt of something whether it's a pandemic or otherwise, but obviously um, the pandemic has taken over America uh, more than maybe other places, some would say, and you know, fingers crossed for you and yours that um, everyone stays safe and well. Yeah, the storm that we had last night, really nothing in comparison with the pandemic and the effects that we've all had to go through really and I live here in Massachusetts Patriots country of course the the numbers were terrible here for a while they've come down they are going back up and it's just something we do every day now we have a look at how many new cases there are sadly how many deaths there are and um, I fear that this is going to be our lives for quite some time to come yeah I think you might be right and um, we've obviously got all the opt-outs and things happening at the moment and whether it be in the NFL and the college game, and I think it's going to be hitting basketball and things uh, sometime soon as well. So, but on to Chiriar. 
um, subjects, I <laughs> think, is is the best course of action for this. And starting with yourself, Derek, when back in the day when you're a little toddler walking walking around the streets of Aberdeen, and uh, maybe as you got a bit older, um, is sports broadcasting something that always intrigued you? And was it something that you know a career that you always wanted to follow the path in, or was there something that might have been a fail-safe plan if all that went pear-shaped? Well, it, it certainly intrigued me from a very young age. Um, I knew early on that I loved talking into tape recorders, into microphones, and we bought our first stereo cassette recorder when I was seven in Aberdeen. Grew up in the Brayside area, if you know your geography mm-hmm. of Aberdeen, West End of Aberdeen. And that was during the World Cup of 1974 in West Germany. And I became obsessed with that World Cup and began making my own tapes. And for the first time, I could put my voice on tape. And my dad, actually, in Aberdeen still has some of those fledgling tapes. And, you know, I, I took that to uh, another level a couple of years later, had my own portable cassette recorder would take it to Pataudry, home of Aberdeen Football Club and commentate on reserve games and got a lot of funny looks from the regulars around me in the South Stand. And then to first team games, I plucked up the courage to do that. And prior to that, I'd been doing it in the playground at Erie Hall, where I went to primary school. And um, really, it was a bit of a, a passion of mine. It was something that I thought, well, I love doing this. And I didn't necessarily give serious thought to this is what I want to do as a career because, I mean, how many football commentators do we know as, as youngsters? We don't know any of them. There really wasn't a job as a football commentator back then with the exception of three or four people in all of the UK, you know, a couple in Scotland. And um, I took it on from there and decided that I really was probably going to end up being a, a language teacher or a translator because I'd I did have a flair for languages, and and to this day, a big part of my life remains uh, languages. But I thought, well, I'm going to give it my best shot on the broadcasting front. So I wrote to my hero, David Francie, at Radio Scotland, and he sent me back some wonderful words of wisdom. And we kept in touch for a number of years. And that was to end up um, being my way into professional broadcasting, having done a lot of hospital radio in Aberdeen. I got my big break at 19 with the BBC and... Touchwood, here I am, uh, more than three decades later, still doing it professionally. But it all began in Aberdeen, and I'll always be a very proud Aberdonian and very grateful to David Francie and very grateful to those regulars in the South Stand who put up with my nonsense into a tape recorder when I was a young lad. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as you say, being from Aberdeen, being a a Dons fan, an Aberdeen football club fan, um, European soccer, if you will, um, obviously it becomes second nature to you. But being a Scotsman in Boston and Massachusetts area, um do you just does it is it natural to progress into being a Patriots fan? Uh, I know that your wife's from the area as well, so that probably helps out a little bit. Um but you know, can you talk me a, a little bit through how you became a Patriots fan? Well, I first came here to Boston in nineteen eighty eight. And I came as a tourist and I came as somebody who 
really wanted to know everything that there was to know about New England. I'd never been to the USA before. I'd spent most of my travels as a youngster in Germany because I studied German. And interest in the USA actually came relatively late for me, which is quite surprising because I've spent most of my adult life here in the Boston area. But uh, I arrived here as a tourist. I quickly realized that I was in love with the place. I liked the culture of it. I liked the feel of it. I liked the accent. I liked everything about it, really. And after I'd done five years at the BBC, I decided, and this is sort of fairly typical of my decision-making process, I'm quite independent. I decided I wanted to do my own thing, and it was to be something that nobody else had done. And I moved here to Boston, and I didn't really have any prospects, so I initially enrolled in a local college with a view to getting an idea as to how broadcasting really was done in this country, as distinct distinct Mm -hmm. from Scotland, from the UK. And that bought me a bit of time. I did some freelancing for a few entities that I had done work for in the UK. And then, lo and behold, I was offered a job as press officer for the World Cup, which was to arrive on U.S. shores in 1994. But they needed people to uh, facilitate the organizational process prior to that, a couple of years in advance of that. So I was uh, very much an adopted Bostonian by that point. And you're right. I mean, I, in those early days, did everything I could to understand the sporting culture of this region. So that meant going to Fenway Park to watch the Red Sox. And I didn't have much money in those days, so I would buy the the cheap seats, the bleacher seats. And you could often get them on the night of a game itself. And from memory, I think we're talking about five or six dollars back then for one of the cheap seats in the bleachers. Same with with the Patriots. I went down to the old Sullivan Stadium, Foxborough Stadium. And in those days, the stadium was not the greatest stadium in the NFL. It was wide open to the elements. If you got a rainy day or a snowy day, you were really in for it. You had to dress accordingly. And um, I went to quite a few games when I first arrived in 1991 and again in 92. When I arrived at 91, the coach was Dick McPherson, who sounds like a, a good Scot. Uh, I've never actually worked out if he actually was of Scottish descent or not, but he sounds as though he should have been. And he was a great character, but uh, the team was pretty awful back then. They were one of the worst teams in the NFL. And, you know, they'd been better in the uh, mid-80s, getting to the Super Bowl, of course, and losing to the Chicago Bears. But they were sort of on the, the slide at that point. So my introduction really to watching the Patriots was, you know, watching the, the Patriots who were uh, not exactly covering themselves in glory. And in some respects, I actually quite like that. Um, I, I'm not going to say that in years ahead when the Patriots got better that my interest wane necessarily but i suppose actually there is some truth of that because as i became more um devoted to uh, covering my main sport which is of course football um i just didn't have time to watch as many patriots games and that coincided with the patriots suddenly becoming this major force you know with tom brady of course uh, at the helm of all of that um but of course i'm aware of it i i try to be a sort of a neutral sporting fan just because i didn't grow up with all these sports here. You know, I've watched a lot of them down the years. Uh, You're right. I do uh, find myself now in a family full of Patriots and Red Sox fans, uh, New Englanders to the core. And so it's all part of the the fun of the fair living here. Yeah. And as you say, you've been there for quite a long time now and somehow you've not managed to really lose your accent. Um, Do you think that plays a part? Because 
a lot of the great commentators over the years, they all have a distinct voice. And I think you have a distinct voice. Do you think that must play some sort of part in it as to maybe your longevity in your, your career that you have? Well, thank you for that compliment, because I do take that as a big compliment. I, I'm a great believer. The commentators who I respect, I always say um, with a commentator, do you know his or her voice within two or three seconds? Do you know who it is who's talking to you on TV or on the radio? And I think with a lot of the great commentators down the years, they have been unmistakable. And so for good or for bad, um, you know, hopefully I have a sound that people recognize. And there might be some people out there who go, oh, I'm sick of his voice, you know. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, I think that that is, is part of it, I think. And I say that to young commentators, make it your own. You know, there are um, tricks of the trade. And David Francie told me a lot of the tricks of the trade when I was a fledgling, aspiring commentator. There are tricks of the trade, but make it very much your own. I always think it's a bit like a, a golf swing. Um, you can watch the, the really good golfers out there uh, and you can watch what they have that's individual to them. But what you come up with is something that is yours, you know, that's based on your strengths and your characteristics. And in the case of commentators, your sound. And that's certainly true of, of the great NFL commentators. There are many NFL commentators here in the USA, but the ones who really stand out, the ones who, you know, we all greatly respect and in some cases worship are the ones who have those distinctive voices, those distinctive sounds. Yeah, I think you're right. And as you say, it is the the mark of a great commentator, whether for television or radio, that, you know, you can pick them out within seconds, go, oh, that's um, whether it be Bob Sose, Gil Santos, whether it be yourself or Martin Tyler, you know, any of the greats of their sport, um, you know, you can pick them out from a lineup of voices, if you will, um, for want of a better term. Um, I was going to ask you about, you know, people getting into sports broadcasting and stuff, but I think you've covered it quite well about making it your own, making something um, that is not, you know, what everyone else is doing as such. So what I will ask you in, instead is about Amazon Prime and, um, you know, how, why you, why not someone else? What was, well, I'm guessing you jumped at the chance as well to, to be involved in such a project. It's a great question, Matthew. Why me? Um, it could have been anybody, um, but I was asked if I was interested. This really goes back to 2017 when I was leaving the UK. My wife and I had decided that really around the January time of 2017, it was going to be our last year living in the UK. I'd gone back to cover football for ESPN UK, for BT Sports, and for a few other entities as well. But for a variety of reasons, some of them were family reasons, just also you know, a feeling that we had done all we had set out to do in the UK. Um, we felt it was time to, to come back to the Boston area. Couldn't really tell anybody at that point because um, there were a few discussions that had to be had with bosses and, and various contractual things. So it wasn't until the May time of that year that we, we made it public that we were leaving to come back to our house. I'm talking to you from the same house that we've been living in that we've had uh, here since um, all the way back to 1996 when I got married. We actually made the mistake of buying our house at the same time as we were getting married. So we, we really had a lot on our plate back in 1996, but that's another story. Um, but um, 
what happened was that summer I was I was back here just in the house doing a few preparation things. I was going to go back to the UK, get everything settled in London, and then come back again. And I got a call from a producer friend of mine who I'd worked with on a South American football highlights program more than 20 years prior in New York. And we'd kept in touch. But um, this was a sort of a, a tangible kind of proposal. And he said that he had been contacted. He didn't say the name of the company at that point, he'd been contacted by people who wanted to start an NFL series of Thursday night games, but they wanted to experiment with a British sound. And it really had to be somebody who was US-based, somebody who understood American broadcasting and might be available and had enough of an understanding of the NFL, but at the same time wanted to bring that, as it was described to me, um, British football Champions League sound to it. And they knew my work because I used to do the Champions League on ESPN over here for the best part of a decade. And um, he knew also I was coming back to the USA. So it sort of all you know, fell into place quite nicely. I, I didn't have too many immediate projects uh, lined up when I came back here to the US. So I thought, to begin with, to be honest, I thought, well, that's a bit of a gamble, isn't it? Because um, I I'm a perfectionist as a broadcaster. Didn't want to go into something that I felt I wasn't prepared for. But he said to me, you know, they really like your sound and um, you'd be going into it as a broadcaster. We know you're a pro. We know you would do your homework, but we really want you to sound like you. And um, we'd like to pair you with a guy called Tommy Smith, who used to be my partner on the Champions League at ESPN, among other things. Tommy's from Ireland, has lived in New York um, since the early 1960s and very much immersed in American sports as well, although he sounds as though he's still from County Louth, um, his his, uh, home county in Ireland. And um, so I said, yeah, I'd love to try it. Now, I couldn't do the first three or four because we were still in Europe, actually traveling in Europe. We agreed, my wife and I had decided we were going to travel to a few places we hadn't been to during our time in London. And so I came in sort of uh, not quite halfway through, but in the early part of that season. And I've been doing it ever since and um, thoroughly enjoyed it. Don't know if we're going to be back doing it this year or not, as, as we speak now. The rights have been reacquired by Prime Video, but um, not sure yet if there's going to be an English UK feed or a Celtic feed, as we call it. We've got all sorts of code names for it. But it's been tremendous fun. And um, the preparation is is fairly similar to to the main sport that I do. But obviously the game is different and the rhythm of the game is different. Uh, But I've viewed it as a great challenge. And the feedback we've had, funnily enough, has come not so much from people in the UK or around the world. And I think that was the original intention. They thought that this might get a few new fans in the UK or around the world. But I think actually it's been more here in the USA. The feedback we've received is a lot of Americans like the different sound. And they might be, you know, Anglophiles. They might be um, fans of, of, of my main sports. They might be all sorts of things, but they quite like the different turn of phrase, the adjectives that we use, the adverbs, the expressions. And, um, you know, we've got a whole new audience. So let's see if we come back or not. If we don't, then, you know, it's been three magnificent years doing it. If we do, that would be great fun too. Yeah, it's um, it's always great to, to get a different um, sort of perspective and sense on it. And this year especially is going to be a, a hugely different perspective and sense on, on any given sport, let alone the NFL. I think um, we've seen it ourselves um, 
I know you've been watching the, the Bundesliga as well as me and the, now the Scottish football has started that, you know, there's closed door games and more than likely it's looking like that for the actual NFL as well. And so swinging on to the, some um, Patriots chats with the actual season itself and the the rookies that have been drafted this year, can, can you see them actually doing anything this year as such or? You know, are they going to get a fair crack at it, or will um, Bill Belichick and his coaching staff? Do you think they might lean on the veterans a bit more? Although they seem to be a few of them have dropped out, obviously, or opted out, I should say, because of COVID nineteen as well. Yeah, and I think that's going to be a recurring theme as we look ahead to the NFL season, if we have one, and you know, depending upon the circumstances of the NFL season, I think the Patriots are at a very interesting time in their history because. I'll be honest, last season, I didn't enjoy watching them as much, you know, and I think that a lot of that came down to the the sort of the end of an era, if you like, and um, not quite wanting to be in that transitional phase, uh, still wanting to, you know, to get to the ultimate game, which, of course, is the Super Bowl and still feeling that that opportunity was there. But there was there was something missing last season. And they kept themselves in games and they won a lot of games, you know, particularly in the early part of the season. But then when it came up against the teams that, you know, really, you would say were the the, the A teams in the NFL. I think about that night when they played Baltimore and, and really, um, you know, were, were second best. Um, you know, I, I think that that really was a signal that we were at the end of an era. So, you know, the question is, do you throw rookies in? Do you sort of take the chance that things might have to go backwards before they they go the right way again? And let's face it, the Patriots have had a very good run, a better run than than most teams are entitled to think in the NFL that they're going to have. You know, normally you think, right, you'll get your three, four years and, you know, maybe then you have to, to deal with the down years. Patriots haven't done that. So the question is, do you suspect that that might be what happens? Or do you think there's another year of maybe sort of treading water a bit, but, you know, being good enough to be able to be in the playoffs, being good enough to maybe go on another run? I don't know. I, as I say, this sort of takes me back to my early years watching the Patriots when they just weren't very good. But you knew that they were going to get better. And of course, you know, it was with Drew Bledsoe initially that people thought they were going to get better. He was the, the quarterback everybody wanted. So, you know, I, I wonder with the changing of the guard, if uh, we might see that, you know, becoming imbued with the spirits of improvement if they want to take a chance. But again, this might not be a year to take a chance because everything else is going to be so darn confusing with COVID and, um, you know, with, as you said, in, in all likelihood, no fans inside venues or limited fans. You know, let's see what happens with that. It's going to be interesting. Mm. And speaking of changing of the guard, it now seems to be a quarterback battle between Cam Newton and Janet Stidham. They seem to have, going into March, April, May, they had a lot of confidence in, in Stidham, it seemed. But it, it would also seem that the Cam Newton deal was too good to turn down. I mean, a former MVP for essentially just over a million dollars, you know, I think it was seven and a half if you want to include all the incentives that are packaged in there. Do you think that might be a chance that they have to take of either Stidham, who's in the system already for, albeit only a year, um, but do they have the confidence in Cam to step in from week one or is that a, a step too far for him and 
you know, is that the chance that you speak of that may have to be taken anyway? Well, it's certainly decision time. And of course, normally we'd be looking to pre-season games to help make these evaluations and these big decisions. But in the absence of pre-season games, um, it's sort of take a chance either way. And, you know, I, I like what I hear about Stidham, you know, and I think that obviously he's who you're going to be looking to with the future in mind. Uh, you know, Cam Newton has a story that speaks for itself. But, you know, the question is, is he you want to have as your quarterback at this particular time? And I don't honestly have the answer. And I suspect that nobody really has the answer at the moment in the absence of preseason games. So it's going to be a case of let's see what happens. You know, will it be all right on the night for one or the other of them? And um, the answer to that question will go a long way towards, I think, sort of, giving us an idea what the the identity of the Patriots will be this season. Uh, It is very much a a new leaf that's being turned over. And I do suspect that there are Patriots fans out there who are not maybe going to enjoy it because they have been so accustomed to success just about every year. Certainly, uh, you know, that's been the case more often than it hasn't been. So, um, yeah, we're going to find out a lot, Matthew. Yeah, I think it's going to be very exciting regardless. Uh, as you say, there will be Patriots fans, myself included, to be fair, who is not used to this sort of transition period or maybe sort of um, going towards a 500 season and that sort of thing. But, I mean, as we talked about at the top, I'm a Dons fan, you're a Dons fan. It's something we're sort of, <laughs> it's ingrained into us in a way, being Scotsmen and from the UK in, in general. You know, we all like the underdog and hopefully it might, in a way, take the pressure off the Patriots and, and Belichick. Because, well, maybe not so much him, because um, they want uh, he's lined up to be greatness every season, it seems. But especially, certainly the team, I think, with the change in the guard, that Brady's not there. And, you know, it's a slate clean that has to be started somewhere. And I think this is obviously the time to do it. And the, the thing I wonder as well that, that I was going to ask you about was this whole sort of to do with the opt-outs, but not really, more to do with COVID-19 in general. I mean, we've been through the end of an English Premier League season. We've been through the end of a Bundesliga season. Is it naivety to think that they could have just taken that blueprint and put it in the NFL, you know, testing twice, three times a week, whatever it might be? Why do you think it's maybe taking them so long for the NFL PA and um, the NFL to, to get together and, you know, thrash this out. Why is it at this stage? We've all, we've seen the reports that you know they've obviously had months to figure this out, but it's only now with weeks left of the the well, not so much preseason, the off season um, training camp starting this week as well that they're only getting to such a dec- decisive decision. Why do you think that might be? I don't have a good answer to that one. I think the blueprint was there. I mean, the Bundesliga, and I've been talking about this, and obviously that's a league that I cover very closely. I work in Germany quite a lot still. And, um, you know, they did it the right way. But, of course, significantly, they did it the right way from a position of case numbers being on the very low side. And mm-hmm. they, they didn't really implement that plan until that was the case. Here in the USA, we have this wretched situation whereby, you know, many states are, are just in a, a seemingly hopeless position. Um, other states have done a bit better. But um, this is going to be with us. And I think the one thing that we are seeing from American sports so far is that the bubble idea gives you the best chance of succeeding. So 
MLS and the NWSL, the, the soccer leagues, men mm-hmm. and women, they opted for the bubble. And the men did have some teething problems. Two teams couldn't take part at all because of COVID cases. But the ones who made it to the bubble have managed to get through without any additional cases. Same with the NWSL. NBA so far doing a bubble looks as though that can work. Um, baseball, let's not go there at all. Baseball <laughs> has been just what can go wrong has gone wrong, you know. And um, I don't want to apportion blame or anything, but it does tell you that it's probably not a great idea to be flying from city to city, as is the norm in baseball, more than it is in the NFL, because in the NFL, of course, it's a, a shorter season. Baseball, you play just about every day. You play a three-game series, then you go to another city and so on from there. That clearly is not compatible with a contagious virus like COVID-19. So maybe I can understand the reticence from that point of view. And, um, you know, I think we have to be prepared for anything. We have to be prepared for maybe the season will start. Maybe it'll stop. Maybe it'll start again. Um, We have to be prepared for imperfection, I think, because this is uh, an imperfect situation we're all working with. And um, I don't think anybody really has good answers right now. Yeah, I think you're right. And the one of the things that brought it home to me a, lo- a little bit in terms of what was happening um, previously and currently in, in the States was I saw a tweet from someone, which I haven't verified, to be honest, but it seemed fairly legitimately a thing, was that the Florida Marlins has more cases of COVID-19 than the country of New Zealand in total. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's that's staggering. But you know, speaking of perfection or imperfection, um, can, do you think the the Bills are the ones to beat in the division this year, or uh, you know, can the the Patriots keep their mantle as the the number one in the AFC East? Well, I mean, certainly the Bills uh, last year produced the kind of season that Bills fans had been hoping for for a long time. You know, going back to the the really good days when when Jim Kelly was the quarterback. And um, I think that there is a natural changing of the guard in the NFL. And the one thing that gives Patriots fans hope is that that division, I think, is not the strongest division in the league. I think it would be fair to say. So, you know, the Patriots, even last season, possibly thought they could win that division with a fairly mediocre record, you know, that, that maybe 10 and six would win you that division. But I think the bills are, have certainly changed for the better. And I think that does happen just organically with, with most NFL teams. But this, I think is the dilemma that we were hinting at earlier, you know, do the Patriots think that even with a less than perfect squad, less than perfect team that they can get close to the bills or even surpass them. Um, I think it's probably unlikely, you know, being realistic about it, but, you never know. Um, so you're not doubting them for the AFC Championship or the Super Bowl is what you're saying? I don't think this year. <laughs> I don't think this year. But, you know, we, we could be surprised. And the one thing that, you know, we have to keep in mind is that um, COVID-19 situation could change a lot. And, you know, it depends who plays, who doesn't play, who's available, who's not. Uh, it could be one of those really strange years, um, assuming we finish, uh, when it's just very difficult to call a lot of the action. Mm, I think so. And looking across the way at the NFC, who do you think uh, are the Bucks and Brady challenging for their championship this season to go to the Super Bowl? Or 
is there a, an underdog that you're liking the look of maybe the Cardinals um, perhaps? Yeah, I do like the Cardinals. I think they are on their way up. Enjoyed covering them last year on one of our Thursday night games. And um, I think their trajectory is a very positive one. As far as the Bucks are concerned, I don't know quite yet, um, but could still see that, you know, could still see that that might, might go their way. Um, the Rams, I always think you've got to kind of keep an eye out for because I think they... They, they do a lot of things so very well, even when they're not 100% at their best. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think that the Cardinal shout is a, is a particularly good one. And you might kind of say it's their turn, and everybody does have their turn in the NFL, so why not? Yeah, I think you're right. As, apart from the Patriots who t- take everyone's turn, it seems, in the AFC. <laughs> Um, and, tr- is... and, tr- and, and trust me, that is why they are disliked by everybody. It's funny, the Patriots used to sort of be this lovable team that everybody felt a bit sorry for. But anybody <laughs> who's, who's grown up in the last 10, 15, 20 years following the NFL, and, and, and I get this from all corners of the USA. You know, when I say, well, you live in New England, and yeah, sort of like the Patriots, I sort of you get furrowed brows. I go, you know, that, that's not great, <laughs> is it? You know, they, they, they are not widely loved, sadly. And um, it has to be said, it's the the same in the UK. I think it's the same across the world, probably, to be fair. But the the UK is quite similar in, in the passion of hatred towards the Patriots, or the, the passion of jealousy, as I like to call it. And, and it, it used to be that way. It's funny, when I grew up following the NFL, not grew up, but I first took an interest in the mid-1980s. Um, and, and back in that time period, you know, people hated the Giants uh, because, you know, they were sort of seen as, you know, the big, bad, brutal Giants who sort of outpower everybody and, you know, who wants the Giants to win. And, you know, to a lesser extent, the, the, the Bears, you know, who were, again, um, you know, the, the sort of the monsters of their time. The 49ers a little bit, although they, they were a bit more artistic in terms of how they, they played the game, or, or so people thought. But uh, yeah, it goes with being with being winners, with being a dominant team. I think so. And it's it's all cyclical, as you say, whether in the NFL or um, European football with, you know, everyone hated Man United for a while and then it was Chelsea, then City. And it seems Liverpool might be the team to hate as they possibly go on a run of championships now and um, Boston sports in general, the, the Bruins and the Red Sox and Celtics, they've all been hated at, at various times. Or The jealousy, um, the green eyes have been cast on these teams, uh, possibly, shall we say. But um, Before we finish up, Derek, I just wanted to go through um, and ask you about some memories you've had. You've talked mm. about some of them already. Um, is there anything else, whether it's pre Brady and Belichick era or since them, you know, the likes of the, the Super Bowl wins, the comeback and um, against Atlanta that could be likened to the Man United or Liverpool Champions League final comebacks or, you know, is there anything of that ilk that, you know, sticks out in your mind over the last number of years? I think the comeback against Atlanta is the obvious one. And, you know, certainly parallels with, uh, you know, the greatest game I've ever covered was Milan against Liverpool 2005 in Istanbul in the Champions League. And, um, you know, 3-0 to Milan after 40-odd minutes. Liverpool brought it back to 3-3 and then won on penalties. And I've always said we'll never really see a more dramatic final in my lifetime. I don't think a major final anyway. Um, 
but you know the Patriots can maybe lay claim to that one. I'll tell you. I'll tell you a funny story about my very first trip to watch the Patriots, and it was I mentioned 1988, and um, it's remarkable this actually even came off because I went to Foxborough. It was a beautiful autumnal day. Everybody here raves about the fall. It's the best time of year. I was there in in October, and I'd been doing some work for IMG at the time, and one of my colleagues at IMG said, "Oh, I'll I'll arrange to get you a ticket." Um, here's the contact. I'll call them. It'll all be sorted. This is before internet or anything like that. So, you know, you sort of took people at their word that they were going to do these mm-hmm. things. So I, I turned up at the front door of Foxborough Stadium, having taken a bus because I didn't have a car, took a bus to um, to a nearby bus station, jumped in a taxi and um, went in the front door, you know, announced myself, Derek Ray. I said, uh, I think there's a ticket waiting for me. No ticket. They didn't know who I was. Uh, the game was sold out. It was against the Cincinnati Bengals. And I'm like so looking around going, oh my goodness, here I am. I was all set to watch my first NFL game and and I'm not going to get to see it. So I was walking out and then this sort of fairly burly gentleman walks over to me and he, and, and he said to me, he said, you're looking for a ticket? And I said, um, yeah, I am actually. And he said, I got a spare. And um, I said, oh, I said, thank you. I said, and I saw he was wearing a, a shirt that said Cincinnati Bengals. And I said, oh, thank you. I said, I said do, you, do you work for the Bengals? He goes, yeah, I'm the offensive line coach. He, he said, Jim McNally. And um, shook my hand. And I said, oh, I said, well, I said, can, can I have your business card? I said, I'd love to have you on the radio sometime to talk about it. And gave me the business card. And we had him on at one point. But um, so thanks to the offensive line coach of the Cincinnati Bengals, I got a ticket. I was actually sitting with his with his family members, but of course I was there to cheer for the Patriots. And uh, the Patriots, against all odds, not a very good team back then, actually won that game against Boomer Esiason and a very good Cincinnati team. And um, I remember Sam White, who was the coach of Cincinnati, later described it as the ugliest crowd he had ever come up against, or at least in recent years. So I was part of that ugliest crowd in history, thanks to the offensive line coach of the Cincinnati Bengals. So that's a long-winded story, but it's hopefully a good one about um, my very first trip to, to Foxborough. Oh, no, that, that, that certainly is a, a good one. And it's, um, it's something I, I like and I appreciate of people is, you know, these stories that, you know, you only get the best of when it's the person telling it that was actually there at the time and not like a, a third-hand sort of, Sure. hashed up account of it but no I um that's why I like bio biographies and biographical movies and such like so much because and I like learning about things in life and people and such like so no uh stories that like that for me uh, personally are, are always good to hear anyway and uh, well Derek I'd just like to thank you very much for taking the time out um this evening um for the podcast um before i let you go though you know any projects that you've got lined up whether it's amazon prime or um you know with espn for or the world feed for the bundesliga and such like you know anything that you feel free to plug away well that's kind of you to be honest i'm in a bit of a holding pattern like a lot of people at the moment because naturally i i go to Germany a lot to cover the Bundesliga on the world feed, but I just can't do that right now. And I, I honestly can't see that that situation is going to change at all in the next few months. So we are talking about ways that we can 
um, develop to perhaps commentate from home, but nothing has decided on that front. And uh, so there's a chance that I may have a very quiet time of it. There is a certain video game that uh, that my voice is, is a big part of. So um, that continues to be a, an important part of my life professionally. Um, and uh, so that's always great fun. But with regard to the other projects, it could be a bit of a fallow period. We shall see. But I'm not alone in that. There are many in the TV industry who are going through difficult times and my thoughts are with them all at the moment because without sports, then there aren't jobs for people in TV production. So, yeah, it's um, it's not an easy time for anybody. But as I say to most people uh, at the moment, health is wealth. That's far more important than anything. Yeah, for sure. And um, I echo that sentiment as well. And I think what we should do is just funnel everyone towards red tv i think that seems the best of course well actually uh, course I, should, of action. I should mention red tv that of course is the tv channel of aberdeen <laughs> football club um i think i confused a lot of people by saying i was going to be involved people thinking i was going to be commentating on games obviously i can't because i'm here in in boston but i am doing a series of interviews for them so if you're an aberdeen fan if you're just a football fan if you like red tv then uh, go on there and there'll be regular interviews with great dons of the past uh, beginning with the great bobby clark so uh, there'll be a lot of um, content like that to enjoy throughout the course of the season and that's a bit of a labor of love so thrilled to be doing that ah nice that sounds uh, like a a great project to be involved with uh, especially for your hometown team as well and for anyone that wants to keep up um with your ongoings and hopefully it's not too a follow-up period for yourself where can they find you on Twitter and the like. Uh, Twitter is the, the medium I use most of all, and you can find me there at Raycom. That's at R-A-E-C-O-M-M. And always delighted to engage with anybody who wants to have a, a good old blether about the NFL, about the Bundesliga, about Scottish football, or anything else. Perfect. Well, again, thanks very much, Derek. And um, if time allows, we'll maybe get you back on in the, when the season actually gets up and running. Let's do it, Matthew. Thanks again for the chat. Perfect. Cheers. Well, Jake, that was Derek Ray. What did you think about that one? Yeah, it was really interesting. I mean, I'm not super familiar um, with Bundesliga. Um, I just know that Dortmund are in yellow and Bayern Munich win everything. His stories about um, New England and stuff are really intriguing, and he's, it's it was weird talking to someone, as I mentioned in the at the start of the interview there, that he's from my city. He was born and bred in Aberdonian, but his languages is took him international. And yeah, it's uh, Boston and Massachusetts is always somewhere that ever since I. Can remember of being a Patriots fan and things that it seems like a cool place. I when I was little, because of home alone, I wanted to be in New York. But then yeah, since same. learning that you know the Hamptons are up in in that neck of the woods and things, and that's where the the rich people go. That oh, we go to the Hamptons. That um, <laughs> it seemed like a, it seemed more like I guess it's maybe why it's New England in a way, and that you know it's like a home away from home. Although the way yeah. that they're COVID cases and things have been going lately. It doesn't seem like the most fun place to be, unfortunately. No, no. Um, no. I mean, I've been to Boston once and I loved it. It was um, definitely getting sort of England vibes, I guess. A um, little bit of uh, my home county, Essex, 
vibes here and there as well. But it was it was awesome. Um, hoping to go back over as soon as all this COVID sorts itself out. But we'll see how long that is. Yeah, I think it's one of those things that people, um, everyone's realizing that in a way that life is too short, and you know, yeah. Effort. Let's yeah, go. Let's do what. Let's go do to get that bucket list that list together and start t- ticking things off and not thinking right. There's always tomorrow, sort of thing. So, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. No, Derek's an interesting guy. It was a great interview, and be lovely to get him back on later in the year. And as I mentioned, he's he's got such a distinctive voice. It was um, good to actually finally meet the man that I've listened to for years on the on the telly well jake i think that takes us to the end of another delightful episode another great interview with another special guest so onwards and upwards rate review and subscribe folks he is jake paul i've been matt inkstar we've been at patch chat uk on twitter until next time see ya see you later